You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. There are so many folks selling search engine services these days, and that is a lot of snake oil out there, especially when you start talking about search engine optimization or SEO. Uh, And this no doubt pleads over to SEM or search engine marketing field as well. So the challenge that I see here with SEM is similar to what often happens in my world with conversion rate optimization. There are a ton of free resources out there, checklists, how-to articles, online trainings and certifications, and most of them are too high level and broad to actually be helpful with the e-commerce site. In my view, this really makes SEM very hard to do yourself, especially if you're an e-com owner. So Ryan, today I'm really interested in your thoughts about search engine marketing and why and what makes it so difficult to do it yourself. I really can't wait to get schooled by you once again. So Ryan, let's start maybe with what your definition of search engine marketing is. All right, it's not complicated for me. Search engine marketing involves making sure that you are showing up when people are searching for your product or service. And it's as long as there's an intent or a search around that and an active process of putting something in, whether that's voice or typing, texting, it's they're searching for it. So for me, the biggest ones are obviously Google, Bing, which is now Microsoft Ads, and then I consider Amazon Ads a search engine marketing. Yahoo's in there, but they usually just get powered by Google and, and Microsoft Ads themselves. So in all of those platforms, they are searching for it. And you can design a specific ad in that system to attract that searcher. That's interesting because maybe I just heard something that brought up an interesting point for me. I've always thought about search engine marketing just being on search engines, but there's so many things out there that are search engines right now. I mean, YouTube is the number two search engine. So would you consider showing up in results and marketing around YouTube part of this? I guess ancillarily, to a degree, yes. It's part of Google. Google owns YouTube and you advertise on YouTube through the Google Ads platform. So when you're capturing searchers on Google looking for your particular product, you can also have YouTube ads um, as far as remarketing. The difference I see on YouTube versus general search engine platforms is that not a lot of people go to YouTube to find the product to buy. They may be doing some higher level research on looking for reviews. If I'm looking to buy a Bluetooth speaker, my dad just bought one for his neighbor. He had to do some research and figure out which one was gonna be the easiest because he's 80 years old. So you can go on YouTube and find some reviews about ease of use or older people using Bluetooth speakers and see which one's easiest. So it's kind of a research process more on YouTube. than it'll be, I need a Bluetooth speaker now. I'm going to go to YouTube and buy one. Generally, that's not how people are trying to transact yet. Either they can transact with Google or go to the website and buy, or they go to Amazon and buy from the Amazon platform. Okay, that that definitely makes sense. So it's ancillary there, but it's not the main way you would define it. You're thinking Google, Bing, those type of search engines at this point. Yeah, they're actually searching for the product or service. And that for me is the big key. You know, in the paid realm, it involves a lot of things outside of a search engine. You can pay for display ads that are prospecting. They're not searching for you yet or you're remarketing through those ads. That can happen across the internet. You have social ads 
where you're marketing to followers of your brand or trying to find new followers and get your products in front of them for them to try, but they're not actively searching for that product. Okay. You're trying to get them to search for that product. And so search generally, I see, further down the funnel. Okay. So there's a cut when people are not searching for it. That definitely makes sense to me then. So I know this is a high-level question, but it is the topic of, of the episode today. So let's just dive in. What makes SEM so difficult to do it yourself? Yeah, you know, John, that is a great question because it, it crosses the mind of almost every business owner as they're looking through a P&L and see the charge for an agency or an individual that's managing their marketing. They're like, okay, well, why can't I just save this money, put that in my pocket or or develop something else with that extra money monthly or annually? And the real answer is because the search engines are constantly changing. What is currently happening on Google or what you currently see on your phone or your desktop when you do a search is not the way it's going to look in a couple months, six months down the road. And that constant change means that you need somebody or something to keep on top of all of those changes constantly. I mean, just from the Google algorithm of ranking organic results, I think there's 500 to 600 changes every single year to that algorithm alone. And if you've been in e-com long enough, you've seen a huge change around the paid side of things. You had Frugal like 12 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, where all of your clicks and shopping were free. Then it changed into PLAs. Then the Google officially called it Google Shopping. And then there was Smart Shopping. And in between those big shifts, there was all these little changes constantly. New ad sets, new placements. We now have ads that show in Google Images. We have Google Shopping showing all over the place and being able to dissect and see which ad types are working and versus not working. It's crazy how much development we have to do internally to keep on it. And we have 700 people at the company constantly researching, studying, and we have that group think kind of thing going on. But that amount of change is astronomical. And I've been in the industry for 10 years. And so my general thought is, you know, I've been studying to be an expert for over a decade now. And I'm still by no means the smartest person in, in e-com marketing. I mean, there's people like Frederick Valais that whose brains are, you know, I'll probably never catch him. But if you're a business owner or a marketer, and you've not been studying specifically how to be the best possible expert in paid search, for example, you're going to be, get beat by somebody that's been studying it, you know, to survive or as a career path or because they're super passionate just about paid search. And I think understanding that dynamic, it makes it difficult to say, oh, yeah, you know, I probably should DIY this to, you know, either save some money or because I think I can really do it well. I think about it as you're going to be in a fight with somebody because that's kind of what paid search is. It's your money versus theirs, your ad versus theirs for the consumer at the end of it all. And so you could be a decent fighter, but if you're not a professional, you're not going to jump into the octagon and try to take on somebody that does this for a living and eats, sleeps, trains, and breathes ultimate fighting. That's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah, we don't need to get kicked in the face because you have not been training, right? Exactly. So let's break that down then. So there's two possible options if you are going to work with an expert. There's the contractor and there's agencies. What's the difference between hiring that really passionate individual versus hiring that agency with 600 employees? This is a good one because it's there are some highly talented contractors in the world. Very, very good. Or some of the best people at an agency will go off on their own and, and take one or two clients and just operate those clients. Nothing bad with it. It happens regularly in our industry. The problem is for the majority of contractors, their life's going to evolve. So if you get a contractor, let's say when they're 25, it's just them. They're traveling around, enjoying life, managing a couple clients. Great lifestyle for them. 
let's say they decide to take steps and, and have a family where maybe income needs to increase. Okay, well, if your company's not providing enough income for them, they need to have more clients. And so generally in America, you want your business to increase in value or you want your work to increase or your income to increase. So most contractors are good for a little while and then they want to scale. They want to get bigger. And that means they have to also look at acquiring. And so they're stepping away from just managing your account and figuring about, okay, how can I get another account? Or how do I insulate myself if this client cancels so that I don't have a huge income hit and starve for a few months till I find another client? There's always going to be this kind of dynamic with a contractor of growth versus taking care of what they have versus how do they, you know, protect themselves or insulate themselves from clients that eventually will cancel. And so that's part of it. The other part I would say is when somebody's doing nothing but working on your account, they will know your account intimately, but are they going to be able to see other things coming down the road or learn new techniques from an account that they wouldn't be managing because they're a contractor, but they can learn from the person sitting next to them in an agency? I've seen a lot of group think that's helped. We've, at least at our agency, have repurposed a lot of things that Google intended one way, completely different way, and it worked phenomenally well because we saw, you know, for example, this beta, we did one that was intended for the travel industry, and they were showing these big, beautiful images when you search this destination. And uh, we're like, wow, that is just awesome. And we didn't have a tremendous dearth of travel clients at the time. We're like, that's a really cool beta. And we're like, I wonder if we could get one of our e-com clients to show product images in there when somebody searches for a product. And so we went to our Google team. was like, hey, we think this has some validity with this client here. Do you think we can get him in the beta? They're like, yeah, let's get him in the beta. Worked phenomenally well. They crushed it for the, I think they had it for four months and then Google sunset the beta because it didn't actually work as they intended it for travel, but it worked phenomenally well for e-commerce. So we had an e-commerce client using something in a different purpose that if we didn't have a breadth of clientele, we wouldn't have even heard about that beta and seen that. And also Google does have some teams that help agencies that they may not be at the same level or even have the resources to help a just a contractor. Sometimes they can, but most of the time you're going to have additional resources that Google throws at an agency because it scales Google mm-hmm. better. Right, right. They're more of a partnership there. And I also worry about the bus. You know, if your mm-hmm. contractor gets hit by the bus, what happens? Right. <laughs> like yeah. if, they, if they're stuck at a hospital, you don't even know because they didn't have to notify their client when they got stuck in the hospital. I mean, it's I like having backups in place. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So, Ryan, let's dive one step deeper on this then. You were at a small agency previously before you were brought into logical position. And now you're with a large agency with over 6,000 clients. What should people be thinking about between a small agency versus a larger agency? Having seen both sides, I do have a little bit of a unique perspective. And when I was at a small agency, I really liked being small and nimble And being able to pivot as a CEO of that agency, it was great to have all of these options. If I saw something I wanted, I was like, yeah, let's go do that. That sounds like fun. Or at a larger agency, there may be a little bit more red tape uh, when I want to just go do something. Um, We have to get some people aligned to make sure it's not going to impact other parts of the business. But from a client, I get some clients that have said, no, they don't want to work with us at Logical Position because they don't want to get lost inside a large agency. And they want to be more important to the agency that they're working with, which, you know, I can see that, you know, as a business owner myself, I'm like, my vendors to care about me and pay attention to me. And so some of them are kind of like the big fish, small pond. And there's some good things about that. I think most agencies in the U.S. are not as big as us. And so most agencies I would consider small and they're, they can be hyper-focused on industries. So there's some ability, if you have clients that operate locally, 
Like I know it's a really big agency actually that focuses just on flooring because most flooring contractors and suppliers operate locally. And so they're able to just be very, very good at saying, hey, we know how to market flooring. We're going to do it in Dallas for this company and this company in this area of Dallas because there's not as much overlap. Uh, in the e-com space, generally we're all competing with everybody in the US for eyeballs, for clicks, and for sales. And I personally want the absolute best for my marketing, whether it's big or small. And so that part becomes if everything else is equal, I generally like more resources in my vendors. They're more insulated. They're more protected against uh, employee turnover. They're more protected against a power outage in one office can be compensated for in another office. Generally, more security measures in place at larger organizations. And this is obviously generally speaking, but that's just a personal preference of mine. I've seen the difference at a large organization that group think is just expounded upon if the agency has run well, like we have people dedicated to strategy. Uh, we have omni-channel strategy team that our clients don't pay for, but they rotate through all of the clients and help their clients understand omni-channel strategies and maybe things they weren't normally thinking about in their paid search conversations that has to do with, hey, your social strategy may need to look at this or your wholesale or direct consumer through brick and mortar may need to talk about this or here's some partners that we have over here that may be appropriate. So I think it's the overall resources we can allocate because of scale. It's, it's pretty impressive. I didn't dislike Boutique, but man, our clients have so many more resources now under the logical position banner than they had beforehand. And I think our skill set and optimization strategies have evolved at a much quicker pace with all of the people involved and hiring new people and new blood to give us fresh eyeballs. Like, you know, we may be doing things one way and somebody else comes in and we're like, well, you could really change this and do it that way. And we're like, you know what? We never even thought about that because we've been doing it this way for three years. <laughs> now we have another set of eyes that's fresh and like, yeah, that could be done better. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers. And Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization, and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. We've talked about what search engine marketing is. What's the difference between working with a contractor versus doing it yourself versus hiring an agency of different sizes? What if somebody decides, you know what, like I'm not at the point where I can pay somebody for this yet. So I need to do search engine marketing to get started. Yeah, I know it's going to be difficult to do well myself, but I want to set myself up so that I can transition to that agency and get some help down the line. What are some good ideas for how they should get started? What should they be thinking about as they're kind of diving into this? I think people starting off you need to start with the idea that you're entering the marketplace and you haven't been there yet. And so the, what I look at is kind of like there's been homeostasis across the, the marketplace as it sits now, and you're going to put a new competitor in there. That's going to have an impact. And as the new competitor with that doesn't have the data that the other competitors do, whether the other competitors use it or not, it doesn't necessarily matter. They have some data if they want to use it. You're coming in almost blind saying, I think this is going to work and I want to pay for clicks and traffic to my site. And 
that disruption, you need to probably default to aggressive. And aggression can mean many things in the e-commerce SEM space. When I say it, I'm meaning that you are willing to take less margin per order to capture market share and start collecting that data fast. And so if you're going to compete nationwide e-commerce in the paid search realm, you're probably not going to compete well by spending 100 or 200 bucks a month. If, if that's your budget, there's probably better places to put it. So I generally say if you're not going to start with at least 2,500 bucks, I think you could probably do better things with it. This is not a fast and true across all industries, all e-com period, but as a general rule, do that. And then you also need to commit to it for at least three months. So basically you're looking at 7,500 bucks of marketing to be able to get a good gauge. A perfect rule, you're going to go at least six, but the shortest I would go would be three months to get this data. So what I'm hearing then, Ryan, is if you are going to dive into this, you likely should be looking at spending a decent amount of money. So if you're spending that much money, though, then it does make sense to have someone manage it, right? It's kind of like if you have a lot of finances personally, you should have someone helping you manage that because you can't be looking at it every day, adjusting your your investment. And that's kind of what's needed here, right? Is somebody to help look at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I actually tried to start up a domain called Search Investors because I wanted people (laughs) to see us as investors where you're putting money in and our job is to make it do what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. Because it is complicated. Just like I don't manage my own money, um, you know, my investments. It's I don't have the time to dedicate that somebody that knows the investment world and can prepare for ups and downs and get my money doing what it's supposed to do. It's just, I'm not even passionate about it. It's like, just go make it happen. I'm good at at maybe bringing the money in and you're going to be good at making it grow once it's in. And so, yes, that is part of it is like once you're going to spend 2500 a month, it does make sense to have somebody that's really, really good at this to give you the best shot at it. And so if you can spend less than that, you can probably get a little more creative. There's some areas you can probably be spending money. You know, one of the great ways to start would be if you wanted to truly spend 500 bucks, like put a gun to my head, say, hey, you have to come up with an idea for 500 bucks a month. I would say we're going to go on to Microsoft ads because the competition is lower there. The search volume is lower. You can maybe test the waters a little easier. The platform itself is, is a little more difficult to work in maybe than Google, but it's still generally the same thing and track your sales and orders there through that process. But even then, I think 500 bucks a month could be spent more wisely at growing an e-com brand. Maybe, you know, if you also sell on Amazon, Amazon ads may be better. There could be a better place on social media to be spending 500 bucks on an influencer to drive some sales. Um, even doing some SEO at 500 bucks a month may be more valuable for your brand than $500 in paid search. Could be. Every situation is different. I mean, I don't even do my own ads because I know there's people better than me. And I'm fairly good at the ad piece, but I know people that are so much better than me. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm playing this game to win. I'm not playing it for fun. I don't, you know, my businesses aren't, I mean, they are hobbies because I just enjoy my passion about business. But at the end of the day, like I want my businesses because I believe I'm the best at what I'm doing there to be the biggest and the best because I'm going to be able to help more people. Mm-hmm. So I use my resources and thoughts saying, okay, if I'm really good at the marketing piece, I'm going to capture a larger market share. I'm going to have more of the market and there are going to be more people that know me and, and are happy with what's going on versus my competitors, which maybe aren't as good as I am. Okay. So within the past year, we've kind of had this global pandemic and I'm wondering, you know, how does that kind of change some of what you're thinking about here around these items? I think it's even more important to have 
experts that have lots of data behind what they're doing. And, and you know, we've had global pandemics, which are relatively new in the United States, at least since we've been alive. You know, the last big one we had, like, you can look back at the Spanish flu of 1918, but there's not a lot of people that have been alive that experienced both of that one and then we've had the coronavirus going up. So changes like that, I think, are going to become more common in the online space. It's just going to shake things up and cause people to look at data or transact online differently. And I think people with more data and more access to it are going to be able to see trends quicker and pivot clients quicker or test more things at the same time. So it is, to a degree, another argument for maybe a larger agency that when you have, you know, 6,000 clients that you're talking to monthly that you're seeing what they're doing in the marketplace. And you're seeing, hey, this business owner tried this over here. Look at how good that worked. Hey, we've got a bunch of other clients that can now try that or experiment with that in their business. It's almost like, you know, CRO across 6,000 clients to a degree, Mm -hmm. not necessarily CRO, but you're seeing all these various things happening and all these A-B tests going on Mm -hmm. that we can look at our, you know, Google MCC and see what is causing that client to go crazy right now. Let's dive into that. And so it's, I think, more important to have somebody that just understands. And as we get more and more experience with these massive global hiccups, if you will, we're going to know how to react better and better as a society. But I think also generally the experts react even quicker to changes. You know, even in your example, you play a lot of basketball. And when they started shooting more three-pointers in Golden State, they had people that adapted very quickly to that. And then even just a couple years later, the best basketball players on the planet weren't able to do as much as they could have before against that offense or against the defenses they were setting mm-hmm. in place. It's, so it's the experts will evolve the quickest. And now you could probably still go into you know high school basketball and shoot three-pointers all day. And that same exact Golden State offense will work really well yeah. at the high school game. And now it's changed. You have seven-footers shooting three-pointers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just never would have thought before, you know, Manute Bowl when I was a kid, <laughs> me shooting three-pointers. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that. This has been really insightful. Uh, as usual, it comes back to expertise, right? So if if you have expertise in this industry, you will do way better than if you're just trying to do it yourself. And so getting that expertise on your team is really going to drive the results for you. And it's just so hard to know what's out there. What is all that data? It's hard for you within your own little world of just you and your company versus having a partner who is seeing this across 6,000 clients and seeing the trends in data. So that that's really interesting to me. Any final thoughts here, Brian, before we wrap up? I mean, I would just say there's very few scenarios in which I'd recommend a business owner or high-level marketing executive doing and being involved in the minutia of like digital marketing. Like even if you hire a small agency or a large agency or a contractor, that time alone can be better spent in other areas. Like if I come across a business owner that's doing their own marketing on Google, I know there's nothing happening on there. There's You go in there and there's, yeah, they might log in every day, but you see the changes they're making. It doesn't have anything to do with optimizing the account, maybe a couple of negative keywords, but that time spent working on the business would have way bigger dividends if you'd hired somebody to handle that piece and moved on to that. And that's what I try to do in my businesses is just, okay, where could I find people that are smarter than I am? And it's most often in almost every area. <laughs> yeah. I call that best and highest use. What is your best and highest use? It's probably not messing around in AdWords or, or Microsoft ads, right? It's making sure that you spent the time to find somebody who is an expert to help you and making that effective. So 
that's a great point. We didn't even talk about the return on investment today. So I think that's a really great point of, that people should be thinking about here. Make more money on your time and money. There we go. Ryan, thank you so much for educating me once again. I've been schooled on what makes search engine marketing difficult. Do it yourself. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. To keep up to date with new episodes, you can subscribe at driveandconvert.com. Thank you.